Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? This is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of the Matador Yachtcast. Yes, that's what I said, Yachtcast. Why is it a Yachtcast? Because we are here in sunny Tampa, Florida, right outside of the Digital Dealer Conference, where I get to interview some amazing guests on a big old boat. Welcome to the Matador Yachtcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. This is going to be fun. Hey, I got some great people uh, with me today. I have the one, the only, the oh-so-famous Mr. Justin Friend with Dealer United. Justin, what's going on? How are you doing, man? Good. How are you? Thanks for hanging out with us. I appreciate it. Happy to be here, man. <laughs> Happy to be here. I have the infamous. You look infamous, by the way, Michael. I just, well, I appreciate you. You kind of have that Thank look. You. That's I'm, I'm an infamous individual. <laughs> I, have, I have Michael Marriage with Thick Stops, man. How you doing? Oh, man, I, I couldn't be happier to be here. Thank you so much for having us. We're going we're gonna to have fun. We're going to have fun. And then I have the oh-so-famous, the one and only Mr. Jim Thompson. Jim, how you doing? I'm lovely, Jason. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. We're going to have a lot of fun. Hey, before we get into our conversation today, I love kicking off these podcasts with little origin stories. A, because I'm always fascinated how people get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry. So, Justin, I'll start with you, and I'll kind of work my way down. Justin, how did you get started in the automotive industry? So it's been about 22 years uh, that I've been in automotive at this point. Uh, I actually started in fitness and uh, I managed a, a location that sold home fitness equipment and a customer of mine had a automotive direct marketing business. And over the course of a few transactions, he recruited me on board. Uh, I was with that organization for about 16 and a half years, became a partner. Uh, from there, our company was uh, acquired by a company called AutoAlert. Worked with AutoAlert from uh, 2016 to 2019 and then I had the opportunity to come join the team here at Dealers United and it's been uh, fantastic ever since. So, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, no one ever wakes up one day and goes, hmm, you know what? You know what? Sounds like a good idea. I should go with the automotive industry. That sounds amazing, you know, but I'm, I'm glad you stumbled your way into it, Justin. Thank you. Michael, how Absolutely. did you get started in this business? Man, great question. So I, I was in high school and, and ended up taking my first job as an auto parts driver. High level delivered your rotors on time type of guy, and then got invited to the dealership world by a Nissan parts manager. And he said, would you like to come work with me? And I said, unfortunately, I don't know anything about cars. And he said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll teach you. And four weeks later, he got fired. So <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to learn the, the, the parts world trial by fire. And it was probably one of the biggest blessings in my career. Um, from there, I became a fixed ops director, NADA graduate, and just a, a connoisseur of the, the automotive industry, especially fixed ops, but I'm not prejudiced against the variable guys either. Okay. <laughs> We're not prejudiced. <laughs> Jim, for yourself, how did you get started in this business? Well, it goes back to high school for me as well, Jason. Um, my best friend's dad was uh, had a side hustle of rebuilding cars when I was in high school, mm -hmm. mostly sports cars. So um, that was interesting to me. So um, I thought, well, I got into college and said, well, wait a minute, if he could do it, I've learned a lot. I think I could too. So started buying and selling cars, went to the lo local bank, got a loan. By the time I graduated, I had a $100,000 line of credit and um, was, was running my gig. And I've been in business since 1998 in Metro Atlanta. That's awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, sports cars, definitely. I think we all kind of get sucked into them. You know, mine was Hot Wheels. You know, I mean, that's really kind of where my love started, right? I actually, my, my very first business was called Big J's Pit Stop. 
I was about 14 years old and I would cart up just cases and cases of Hot Wheels and I would sell them at the local drag strip during race weekends and it, to keep all the kids occupied, right? And so like, no, it, it gets in your blood, you just can't get it out. Hey, we got a really cool conversation today. I think it's an awesome topic. We're gonna talk about, you know, what is the VIP experience, the white glove experience, the concierge, you know, from a marketing perspective, I think we found every single word we could ever possibly use to describe this experience. But what is it really? I mean, from a technology perspective, from a sales perspective, from a fix ops perspective, I'd love to kind of get your guys' thoughts and we'll just kind of keep rolling with it. Uh, Justin, I'll start with you and I'll work my way down to Jim. So, you know, VIP, concierge, I think the key, the key is about the customer journey mm. and making sure that the customer, whether they're gonna transact in service or parts or sales, has a clear path, they know who the dealership is, they know about the dealership, why should they trust that dealership? And then ultimately it's about making the, the journey as frictionless as possible for that consumer to transact again, whether it's parts, whether it's service, whether it's a, a, you know vehicle acquisition, whether it's sales, it's just about treating that customer in the, the you know best and, and easiest way possible for them through that journey. Easy kind of being that keyword, right? I mean, that's I mean, when I think of anything, if I think of a concierge or a VIP, that's probably one of the first things I go to. It's gonna be easy, yep. right? Um, so I'd love to hear your kind of thoughts, Michael, especially especially from the parts and fix ops side. Like, you know, we love kind of playing that word, like get your VIP service experience today. But like, what is like, what does that actually mean? What, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, for me, the summary of all that's retention. Okay. And. I just sat through uh, a seminar and listened to a couple of people talk about the service service experience and customers not understanding what we're sharing with them while mm -hmm. video content is is relevant and prevalent today but but at the end of the day the retention metric is a dealership metric it's called service retention mm -hmm. and then you have a sales market share right but the dealership success factor is truly measured on retention and it shouldn't be a fixed ops term, it should be a dealership term. Because we have to be in the business to retain customers. Yes. Forget the surveys, forget all of that crap that the manufacturers send out to, <laughs> to get information from the customers to grade you on, right? And instead of understanding that the true metric is how many of my customers do I retain today? Yes. How many customers did I sell a car to? How many customers did I service a car with? And then how many of those customers did I get to come back to my dealership? For me, anyway, that's the ultimate key performance indicator. Well, and, and, that, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's kind of identifying what the ultimate goal is and then working backwards to create the experience that's ultimately going to get us there. But just to create an experience without having that defined goal in front of you, you're just doing it for the sake of doing it. And that's where I find kind of inconsistencies. Sometimes we'll execute on the experience. Sometimes we won't execute on the experience. But that's a great point. Thank you, Michael. Jim, for yourself, when you hear that, that, that concierge, that VIP experience, like what does that mean to you? First of all, I think that a concierge or a VIP experience has to be a guided experience by someone at the dealership. I like that. It has to be non-salesy mm -hmm. and uh, not adversarial. So you listen to your customers' needs and you try to meet those and you, use, you leverage your industry expertise and knowledge um, 
and make life easier for them. So I like to think of it, it's not the hotel experience, like you think of a concierge a hotel. Well, and that you, you hear that sometimes in, you know, these sessions, right? Like we have to be, we have to be the, the Hilton or we have to be, you know, we gotta be the Apple, you know, of experiences. For, now for me, it is more like the Apple store experience, okay. the genius bar, if you will. Okay, there we go. Somebody's got an Apple product, they have a problem and they need it fixed. So they go to the genius bar and magically their problem solved. <laughs> That's what a VIP experience is for me. I think that makes a lot of sense. But I mean, to get to that type of experience, and I think, you know, for a lot of dealers out there that are watching, listening right now, I mean, that that's the holy grail, right? I mean, that that's, you know, you look at all of our Google at our Google reviews. You know, I mean, that's them telling us how well we actually executed on the experience, right? And I think, you know, a lot of people out there, you know, don't realize that the experience already exists. Like the experience is the collective interaction of what happens at a dealership. But if you don't give it direction, well, it's just going to go wherever you want. So I guess that's kind of my next question then for you guys. You know, what are your thoughts of, of how do we give that customer experience direction so that it's consistently executed? Justin, I'll start with you and I'll kind of work my way down. Well, I mean, I think, I think you raise a good point. And quite frankly, these guys working in store are probably going to have better insight than I will. I have no issue saying that. But, you know, speaking as a consumer and, you know, a marketing expert, I think so much of it is about education and letting mm. them know what to expect and you know what that experience again we talked about easy yes. we talked about retention a, a lot of that is just educating the consumer not necessarily to your point about you know hey you're going to get a survey but what should that standard of excellence be what should you expect so you know using the example of the Apple store when you walk into the Apple store and you go to the genius bar you have a predetermined understanding of kind of what that experience should be like so I think if we're educating the local communities and educating our consumers about what that's going to be, they should have a pretty good understanding of, of what to expect from each individual dealership. And I think from a marketing strategy, that makes a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, I, I think too often I see agencies that will pump something out there that's just like, white glove, concierge experience. Right. Tell me what it means. But, but that's it. So they'll just kind of do that, but they don't go into it. It's not necessarily what we do. It's why we do it, the way we do it, that yep. really kind of defines it. Michael, I'd kind of get it, love to get your thoughts of, like, how do we kind of consistently execute this? Well, we keep talking about, like, a service experience or a sales experience, but at the end of the day, aren't we in the hospitality industry no different than the people right across the street? Good point. Um, everybody here today holding a mic up, we're all customers, right? Mm -hmm. We have a choice on where we want to do business and who we want to spend our hard-earned money with. And so I think it's about trust. I think it's about transparency. I think from a leader standpoint, we have to talk about culture and vision. And then the biggest word for me is accountability, right? Yes. So I need to onboard people properly. I need to train them continuously. And then I need to hold them accountable for the expectations that I desire. And it's not about my desire as a leader. It's about what the customer desires. Mm -hmm. I like that. No, that's a good point. Look, if we put that customer you know, at the center of it, all right, then it's easiest for to make the decisions. But when we put ourselves at the center of it, right, and we put them through, a process that we decided, not a process that they want to do. And I think, you know, I will say of the last 24 months, I think that's been a fundamental shift. All right, the customer is now telling us what kind of experience that they want. And it's our responsibility now to meet them at their needs, not necessarily ours. Hopefully we'll keep that going. But Jim, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts. Can, Sorry, can I jump in Absolutely, real quick? Man. When you mentioned the last 24 months, it's only because we've been paying attention. They've been telling us this for ah. the last 50 years. Good uh, point, man. So there you go. Mike. 
Uh, <laughs> Finally, they're listening, right? All of a sudden, I have big ears. <laughs> That's a very good point. Good Jim, point, for yourself, yeah. how, do, how, do, how do we kind of consistently execute this? Well, as a dealer, we all have inventory. Mm-hmm. And our job is to move that inventory, although we have less inventory than we've ever had. So when, when we get a lead, we want to sell the customer a car we have in stock today. Yes. Okay. But unfortunately, we lose somewhere around 90% of our leads. When I say lose, they don't purchase from us for some reason. And I believe uh, there's a significant percentage of those leads that are qualified and will buy a car somewhere. So if, if, we, if they don't buy from us, there's only two reasons. Either we don't have the exact car they want mm-hmm. in stock, or they think they can get a better deal somewhere else. And when I say a concierge experience, if you had someone in your dealership that could take that customer that you can't close with your traditional sales process and explore the path, other options for them, because customers are now more open to outside the box experiences than they've ever been on purchasing a car. Yes. So if you can show them, hey, we don't have that exact uh, BMW X5 with a third row seat and a blind spot you know, package, um, but we can buy it for you, and here are some options at auctions that we could specifically buy that car exactly as you want it equipped and, and show that to them. And if they come back and, and as you walk down that path, they say, well, that's great, but I found a great deal on car gurus. You know, it says it's a great deal, and I'm, I'm, it's got to be a great deal. It says great deal. 100%. I mean, so, um, but you know that dealer adds $5,000 in add-on fees or the car's misrepresented. You need to share that with the consumer. Yes. So you become their their advisor, educator, guide, if you will, instead of an adversarial salesperson. I like that. And you know what? It's kind of bleeding into kind of my next question with you guys is around culture. Because it sounds like if we can kind of consistently execute some of the experiences that you guys are kind of identifying here, that kind of bleeds into kind of the culture of the company. Or maybe it is the culture that is the glue that continues to, to stick it all together. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, my marketing brain kicks in, and I'm sure Justin kind of yours does too, right? Because it's like, how do I how do I market that, you know? So I, I'm thinking kind of from like a marketing culture perspective, all right? You know, how do we how do we create this experience and not just for it's not just for us, but it's for our staff and they kind of get behind it, right? I find sometimes that we, we put out these experience, we, we, we define what the customer experience is. Then we go to our marketing agency and say, all right guys, here's, I got an idea. We're gonna do this, right? And the marketing agency goes, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. We should totally do that. And then you bring it back to your staff. You're like, oh shit, boss, seriously, man? Like you wanna do, you wanna do a what, 24 hour what, huh? Oh, so like how, I guess that'll be kind of my question. It's like, how do we connect the dots, I think, from uh, what we want to give our customers experience, but then also what our staff can execute, you know, uh, from a culture perspective, you know? And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts, Justin, and I'll work my way down. I mean, for me, it's it's a lot of the things we've already talked about. It's, it's education, <coughs> internal, yes. right? Make sure your staff knows what's going on. So does know? that become the marketing then? I mean, it could. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends. I think it depends on who's, you know, kind of running the show. I think far too often there is a drop-off of communication. The waterfall stops and the staff doesn't know what's happening and what's expected of them going into accountability. <laughs> and then you've got a customer that walks in, hey, I heard about this great whatever, mm-hmm. and the salesperson unfortunately isn't, you know, educated to know exactly what's going on. Yes. So I think that's part of it. Um, you know, from, from a culture perspective, I think listening. 
listen to your staff. What mm. what do they feel will be helpful? What do they feel their customers, the people that they talk to every single day, what are the things that you know they want to do and try to execute? I, again, ultimately, I think a lot of it is about communication and just understanding you know what what this what the team thinks will will work. I think it's a great point. And in like when I think of uh, fix ops and you know when I talk to service managers, service departments about experiences, they're like, yeah, 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 experience, yeah. Can I answer the phone now? Okay. Can what do I need to tell you? right now so that I can go answer the bloody phone. Um, <laughs> right? but, excuse but, me. Excuse me. But man, it's hard, right? I mean, just talk about like with sales, there, there's a bit of a time. There's a time element to it, right? I can, I can kind of slow down to speed up, but with, you know, the fix ops, it's, man, it, 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 it has got one speed and it's at that one speed all the time. So, you know, from a culture perspective, how do we maintain, you know, that buy-in from our staff to consistently execute on that experience? I'd love to get your thoughts, Michael. Jason, that's a really great question. And, and I think there's a lot of talk out there today that culture starts from the top down, whether you're a dealer principal yeah. or general manager. But for me, as a fixed ops director, culture is a byproduct of my vision. And my vision might be different than my general managers or my dealers. And it's only because we're on two different sides of the house. And I'm not saying there's a wall that separates us, but I'm saying we do speak two different languages. The variable side and the fixed side speak and are identified by different metrics instead of the totality of the success of the entire dealership. Just I, no, my opinion. No, I, I completely agree with you, and that's a great point. Jim, for yourself, um, that bleed over from culture to experience, like how do you, how, how do you kind of bake those two together? Pipeline. All right has a lot to do with it as well. You can come and say, we need to do this, and this is why we need to do it, and this is the customer experience the, the, the consumer needs to have. You have to be consumer-centric. Everyone says, you, this is what we need to do. But your pay plan's not optimized for the staff to do that. Mm -hmm. Then they're not going to do it, in my opinion. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. If we're asking them to, if, if the experience is not necessarily tied into their pay plans, are they really going to consistently execute that? That's actually a, re a really good point. Um, Michael, do you feel the same on the fixed ops side? Absolutely. I think in the absence of having a strong leadership team, the pay plan becomes a job description. Mm. So what do you want to deliver to your customers, and are you catering pay plans that are centered around that? And for me, uh, I think that I've always kind of been in the forefront of fixed ops by doing things differently than most, and maybe I'm speaking differently than most from the fixed ops side. But at the end of the day, it goes back to the same metric I mentioned previously, retention, retention, and retention. Because our success in the dealership world, whether it's on the marketing side or the variable side, is people in process. So good people, and good processes deliver a high level of customer satisfaction. And then those same good people and good processes with happy customers deliver a high level of employee satisfaction. And that's where the magic starts in the dealership world because you reduce turnover and increase profitability as a byproduct organically 
if we were doing SEO content right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's, it's, it's a very, very good point. Um, look, guys, I know we're getting towards the tail end of our time today, but I did want to talk a little bit about Digital Dealer. Look, we're here, sunny Florida. Um, there's an amazing conference going on right now. And, you know, I, I out of all the conferences, I, I do really kind of admire Digital Dealer because I think they do an amazing job of bringing a, a, a great list of vendors, and uh, dealer people and, and OEMs and speaking, and I find to be very actionable items, you know, at a lot of these sessions. You know, for, for people that kind of attend events like these, which I know you guys do, all right, um, what, what's maybe the one thing you kind of hope someone kind of takes back from an event like this, back to their dealership and starts executing now? Because there's just so much to do, but I'm curious, like right now, what do you hope someone takes away from something like this? Justin, I'll start with you and I'll work my way down. I, I mean, good quick. Good question, Jason. Maybe a, a bit of a soft answer, but like ideas, right? I mm. think that's what, you know, you're coming here. If you're looking for a platform, you're looking for a piece of software, you're looking for a product. Can you leave this with the idea of whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish to go back and implement, whether it's fixed ops, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's retention or all of the above, can, can you leave this, you know, trade show with the education and the idea that you came in looking for? Obviously, you know, friendship, camaraderie, like those are those are also the <laughs> amazing byproducts of this, you know, fantastic show and, and the industry that we're in. But that would be my two cents for you. That's awesome. Michael, what what would you say for people out there watching and listening? What what do they which will you hope they will take back and start executing? Digital presence. This oh, okay. is digital dealer. And as a fixed ops guy, I've been enamored in the digital world for like the last four or five years. So no one would ever say that COVID and the pandemic was a good thing, but it, it gave guys like me an opportunity to pivot in my business sense where I sent out paper mailers, paper reminders, mm -hmm. paper, uh, your special order parts arrived. And I, I've ch changed my strategy to really target the digital world. And how many dealers actually know what their conversion rates are um, on a dealer's website or how many Google reviews or, or how many digital ads you placed on your Google My Business or Google Business Profile page and how many views it got, right? So for me, it's, it's all about adapting to the digital world and this is my first digital dealer conference and I, I couldn't be happier than I am today to be here with you all right now. Thank it's you. awesome. That was a great point, even with the flying helicopter going over <laughs> our head. It's my ride. It's actually just parking on the other side of the yacht. I'm just going to, I got another meeting. No, I'm just kidding. Picking us both up. up. Yeah, we're gonna wrap it. <laughs> Jim, for yourself, you know, what do you think one takeaway that you really hope people take, uh, bring back to their dealerships and start executing? I think if they take away one thing they actually implement and not just write down. Ah, there you go. I like that. Because I've been coming to Digital Dealer as a dealer for years, mm -hmm. and I'm as guilty as anyone. I'll have a notebook full of notes or on my phone, and you end up back at the dealership, and a week goes by, two weeks, a month, and then you really try to, what, what, what am I doing? You know, not what I learned, but without action, knowledge isn't much. Yes. So one 100%. thing that you put into into action. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, what? I got, I know, I know we're getting towards the end, but since I have the three of you guys up here, I, I, th I have a question I want to ask because this, I think, is a unique opportunity to ask someone from the marketing side, someone from the fix op side, and someone from the sales side. You know, um, right now, getting into the automotive industry doesn't seem to be uh, overly appealing to a lot. 
uh, individuals out there. Uh, but yeah, but I believe this is one of the best industries ever to be in. You know, for anybody out there that might be watching or listening and thinking about maybe getting into the marketing or the fix ops or the sales side of the business, what what advice do you have for them? Jim, Justin, I'll start with you and I'll work my way down, Jim. For me, Jason, this is the most exciting industry out there. There are constant changes, challenges, adaptation. Like I said, I've been in automotive marketing for 22 years. I can't envision myself doing anything else. It's exciting. It's rewarding. You get challenged every day. It's it's fantastic. It is. It, it is such a rewarding industry. And marketing is such a cool place to go into right now because so many things have changed. Yeah, you know, sure. there's just we're looking for people to come and disrupt this yep. stuff, right? Hey, Michael, for yourself, what advice would you give someone who's interested in maybe getting into the parts or the service side of the business? I couldn't encourage it more. As a 30-year veteran, um, I don't think I could have chosen a better industry because there's two main constants in our business. It's constant change and continuous education. And if you're feeding your mind and feeding your brain, you're growing. And as an employee, uh, as a business owner, what better influence could you have but to continue to grow as a person on this journey? I'm mm -hmm. sitting here with all, all three of you. <laughs> Uh, as a fixed ops guy, and we're talking variable and fixed, life is good, man. <laughs> life is good. Life is good. That is right. You know, that's true. When I think of all three of the departments we have represented here, you know, they're, uh, usually they're on silos or possibly islands, you know, and, and sometimes the communication is just like smoke signals like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> you know, but hey, Jim, for yourself, for anybody that's thinking about getting into the sales uh, side of the automotive industry, what advice would you have for them right now? Well, let me talk about the Gallup poll for a moment. All right. All right. So every year the Gallup poll does a study on honesty and ethics among professions. So it ranks different professions from the most trusted to the least trusted. And this has been, they've been doing this study for over 40 years. And every year consistently nurses rank at the top with an index score usually in the low 80s. Um, moving on down the ladder, you have way on down the ladder, attorneys. <laughs> okay. Even further down the ladder, we have advertising you people, <laughs> you know, marketing, marketing guys. But we're still not there yet. Mm -hmm. Let's go even a little further down, and we've got car salespeople. And they have an index score of eight. Oh, jeez. So, so the only thing worse than a car salesperson on a most recent uh, Gallup poll survey was a member of Congress, and they got a six. So... Now you say, well, why, why would I want to get in the car business? Because you have a very low bar to be excellent. No, okay, yes. You know? I couldn't if agree if more. If you're an opportunity from there, yeah, right? I mean, look at your upside. You know, you're a decent guy or, or woman. I mean, and you're honest and you're ethical. You can be a standout all-star in this industry. Very good point. Great point. I love it. Hey, guys, this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you guys coming out, spending some time, and doing this. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. You, you gave yourself an amazing day, all right? Thank Thanks, you, man. Jason. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks for tuning in to the Matador Yachtcast with your host, Jason Harris. Don't want to miss new content? Be sure to check out the full podcast library at matador.ai to stay in the know. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe. Happy podcasting.